And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in and listening wherever you are around the world. Uh, I have an icon with me today, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. He is a political scientist, historian, educator, and pan-Africanist. He is a founding and uh, a founding and director, founding director, and former vice president and president of the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, and is the former president uh, of the African American Heritage. Association. He's also an appointed, uh, uh, has been appointed the International Executive Director of the Organization of Afro-American Unity that was founded uh, in 1964 by Malcolm X. Today, Dr. Jeffries is one of uh, the featured experts in the uh, what is planned to be one of the biggest films and documentaries uh, of, of late 2017, early 2018, Hoppy the Film, and eloquently shares how all commerce and economics uh, today comes from Africa. Welcome, Dr. Jeffries. Well, certainly it's uh, a pleasure to join you and uh, the radio audience and your audience uh, dealing with such an important uh, part of our history. And by history, I'm talking about world history. Yes. Talk to us about the Hopi film. And first, how did how did uh, how did uh, Taki uh, Grant um, approach you about the uh, uh, the concept of, of of being a part of this documentary? Well, fortunately, <coughs> uh, Taki Grant and I have had a relationship over the last twenty years or so. Wow! So that that that's made it easy, and uh, a highlight of that relationship was early on in uh, 2004, uh, when we were, I've been going back and forth to to Africa and, and Europe and other parts of the world for the last, it's embarrassing, uh, the last 60-something years. That's not embarrassing. That's historic. <laughs> it, it is. It's another very historic. There's nothing embarrassing about that. My brother, take that, take that back. You got to take that back, Doc. <laughs> my, my brother and I, uh, we used to uh, like kids cry when our mother uh, went on her vacation, and she and she would tell us, "Look, I've worked hard all year. I need a vacation. A vacation from working." And taking care of y'all, but she said one day y'all will be able to. You'll be traveling, and she certainly predicted it uh, correct because my brother, younger brother, his uh, oldest son is a congressman, Hakeem Jeffries, and uh, out of Brooklyn, and a, a beautiful, wonderful uh, young man. And then his younger brother is Professor Hassan Jeffries, and he's out at Ohio State. And so uh, in 80, 1987, when we formed ASCAC in 83, 84, and then I, we brought the conference to New York in 86, we decided to go to the Nile Valley because we had formed the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations in order to reclaim our ancient history. So this new organization was birthed from the ideas laid out by Dr. Yosef uh, Ben-Yakinen, affectionately called Dr. Ben, by mm -hmm. Dr. John Henry Clark, his elder partner, by great Africans from across the uh, the ocean, 
uh, Dr. Shekanta Diop in uh, in Senegal and Dr. Theofelo Banga, his partner, who comes from the Congo Brazzaville. In other words, these brothers and sisters who had uh, laid the foundation for this explosion of new information, we formed this organization, and within a couple of years of it being formed, the first conference being 1983, uh, 84, and then incorporating 85, and then coming to New York in 86, and at New York deciding we're going to take a pilgrimage to the Nile Valley, too happy, uh, and we so many people wanted to go. First, we thought we'd maybe take 200, then 400, then 600, then 700, and we finally had to cut it off at 800. And eventually, almost a thousand people went because some people came in spite of the fact that we cut it off. A thousand people <laughs> went wow. to the Nile Valley to to see what was the reality of of happy. And if you can imagine. Uh, my mother was there, the one who said, one day you'll travel. She was there with her two nephews, Hassan and Hakim, were 12 and 14-year-olds. They were going through their manhood transition. And with other young men, uh, Dr. Wade Noble's son, uh, Omar, went and, and a whole host of others. So you had generations, four generations of Africans in the Nile Valley together. And uh, so we had a chance to interpret it fully for ourselves. And it was a life-changing experience. Can you imagine 40 buses, 40 buses traveling through the countryside? It was uh, unbelievable. Going down from uh, Aswan, going down to Abu Simbel to go see the great Ramses um, monuments and temples, uh, temple to to the... uh, the high god Amun, and a temple to the female goddess, uh, uh, and and also Ramses II and his wife Nefertari. So that's the type of the last 40 years or 50 years, that's the type of work that has been done by our people. And so now to have our brothers and sisters in the generation of, of Taki to take upon the task to go deeper into what it was that we began to expose and reveal. Mm-hmm. And then to not deal with denial just as a sensational, uh, extraordinary place of great achievements of the human family in terms mm-hmm. of monuments and then great discoveries like this, the tomb of Tutankhamun, which had the gold mast, we have now been studying the ancient language. Many of us, my wife, over the years, has been studying the ancient language uh, with others. Um, Brother Enfadishi, who is uh, a marvelous African emerging uh, with his great scholarship and his great understanding of the culture. Um, and then others like Dr. Mario Habiti, president of ASCAC now, the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, and his partner and first vice president, uh, Dr. Greg Carr, who is the head of the African-American Studies at Howard University. And then uh, Mario's wife, Alicia, she has her PhD and is very strong in women's studies and culture. Mm-hmm. So we we see the generations having passed down this responsibility 
um, to a whole host of our people, and they're manning the new institutions. They're manning the old institutions like Howard University or Morehouse College uh, or in a place in the urban Dr. Alefi Asante has for uh, now decades uh, been uh, uh, preparing PhDs in the ancient cultures and, and language. And so uh, it really has been a fantastic phenomenon, uh, a, an African renaissance of extraordinary uh, uh, depth and understanding. So instead of looking at the pyramids and gawking at them, the pyramids of Giza Plateau, you study the pyramid process and what it took to achieve that, what kind of resources were necessary. And you had to have an enormous uh, economic uh, process, an enormous economy to sustain the largest structures in human history uh, that are standing independent. So clearly the river, uh, the Nile, and its overflow. Happy is the original name for, by the ancients of Kemet, which was the ancient name. We uh, use the uh, Greek terminology, uh, Egypt, but um, happy is, is a much truer form of a, a name for the area. But the important thing is now we are studying not just the magnificent uh, enormity of structures, but why they were built mm-hmm. and what resources were created and what economies were put in place to allow this monumental building to take place. 3000 BC. Mm-hmm. And see, that that's the extraordinary thing. So uh, unfortunately, the narrative of our history has been stolen by others. And uh, there's a whole process, unfortunately, of the Judeo-Christian, Greco-Roman, Islamic narratives on the history that don't deal with the truth of what the history has been. Mm-hmm. In other words, other people come into the Nile Valley, into the Happy Valley, and they were welcomed there, and they were able to prosper. But unfortunately, they claimed the narrative. Um, They added a false narrative or an exaggerated narrative, and then they dismissed the, the people who actually did the monumental building and organized their economics and their politics and their culture to put a system that lasted for thousands of years. And so the the narrative of the ancient Hebrews coming in, um, and if that has substance, uh, you cannot exaggerate its importance, but people have. And they said that God chose uh, the ancients from the Tigris-Euphrates area or in Chaldea uh, following Abraham's guidance to come in to the Nile Valley. And then during that 1800 BC about, and during that time there was enslavement in reference to them. And so a whole narrative has been created, which has a very 
uh, strong meaning in terms of philosophy and theosophy, but in terms of history, it is not correct. Because if Abraham existed in 1800s, the pyramids process were almost a thousand years by then, by uh, the beginnings in, in 2700 or uh, uh, 600 BC. And so how can you build pyramids when you didn't exist? Exactly. <laughs> and, how can, and how can you build pyramids of baked mud and straw and no pyramid on the Giza Plateau is, baked, is made out of baked mud and straw? It's hewn out of granite, millions of blocks. Do you know what type of economic capability and capacity you needed and a political capability That's and right. a cultural force that caused that? And so, yeah. unfortunately, in these narratives of other folks, they claim our history, and then they put a curse out on us, supposedly, and so the real story is hidden. But because truth across the earth rises again stronger than before, that's the, the process I was involved in over these last 40 or 50 years. And certainly when the attacks came on me in reference to um, this enormous history, and people said that you you're just distorting, you're lying, you're, you're, hate, you're hateful, you hate this and hate. No, we, we love our people. We have a mission to raise up this truth. We don't have to lie. We don't have to exaggerate. We don't have to distort. Uh, we don't have to think negatively about other people. We just need to search out this truth. And we have to get Brother Attack and the others who encouraged him and have helped him. Uh, their uh, acknowledgement that this Absolutely. is continuing the great achievement of exposing this truth that African peoples are the foundation peoples of the universe. And in terms of human development, it does not go back 6,000 years. If anything, it goes back 6 million years. Yes. Early humanity. And then as humankind moves through time and you get the development of large brain humanity 200,000 years ago, that trauma is in the Nile Valley happy uh, and the area extending out from it uh, for thousands of uh, 200,000 years. Mm -hmm. So early humanity is African millions of years ago. Uh, large brain humanity, homo sapiens sapiens thinking uh, humanity is African 200,000 years ago. And then when these Africans and their ancestors found a special ecology, in Happy, the Nile Valley, they were able to go 10,000 years ago to lay the foundations for the greatest, the most significant uh, economic, political, and cultural development in the history of the world. Wow. And so that's what we're all about. We don't have to falsify. We don't have to berate. We don't have to lie. We just have to search out this enormous truth. And and what uh, Brother Tacky was able to do with me in 2004, he had been going back and forth to the Nile. His, um, uh, part of his family that he married into is a part of uh, Egypt and Nubia. And so he was able to offer me a chance to go to Nubia, south of Egypt oh. and Kemet. And so we made a trip to Kemet first. Uh, of course, we had to build the uh, 
visit the Giza Plateau and the Saqqara um, development by Imhotep, who not only built a step pyramid, uh, which is inspired by the Mastaba, in other words, the building mounds, but this great structure is linking the human experience to the universe. And so it's tied to the movement of the heavenly bodies. It's tied to the uh, significance of the flood, the annual flood of, and 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 so, uh, and a person who is attributed to, to have done a great deal to to lay it out and to carry out the completion is Imhotep, and Im- Imhotep was acknowledged by the Greeks to be a mastermind and a, an enormous human figure. And he is referred to also as the father of medicine and, and deep scientific thinking. Right. So, in other words, so much has been kept from us when others have said we're cursed and we're not even human and that we can be enslaved forever for them. Now, all of this information, particularly over the last hundred years, all of these discoveries have exposed this enormous truth. Mm-hmm. And so we needed to empower ourselves because whoever controls the history controls the vision. Whoever controls the flow of knowledge controls the self-esteem, what you think about yourself, the the self-respect, how you think about yourself and others, and your self-development. So if there has been a retarded development among African peoples of late, in these last 500 years of enslavement, it's because somebody else controls our our thinking, our images, our history, our narrative. But once you tap into this narrative, as I did with this trip in in 2004 with Brother Chucky, we went first to the Nile, the Delta Nile, meaning the lower Nile. The upper Nile is the southern part, and the lower Nile is going toward the Delta. Well, we visited the Delta, so we saw the great achievements of Imhotep with the Step Pyramid. And then we visited the uh, plateau, Giza Plateau, where you have the perfection of this building to reflect God in the universe. And so we saw the true pyramids and the bent pyramid. And so uh, Brother Taki is so into this, um, he is able to take you a tour and show the various processes of pyramid building. And of course, we had to pay homage and respect to what is called the Sphinx. And that that is, again, a, a part of a temple process to acknowledge the the relationship between the divine order of the universe and the human manifestation of it. But we left Cairo and went to pay a special visit, which is not often done because it's off the beating track. We went to Tel Amana. And Tel Amana is where the great pharaoh, Agnaten, Amenophis IV, and his uh, lovely queen, Nefertiti, uh, 
and his mother, Queen T or Ty, T-I or T-I-Y-E, uh, and the boy came to a Tinkham and lived. They, and the deep thought is that there was so much pollution coming into the Nile Valley because of the conquest of Africans in the Nile going out and bringing in all this material wealth, particularly during the period of Tutmos III, uh, the great. And the great wealth helped to throw the balance of spirituality and materiality uh, off, and material wealth became a devastation and a pollution. And so what was the solution? Africans believed in the Mohemi Mesu, the repetition of the birth. And so uh, the African revolutionary consciousness took place of change, and that became the Amana Revolution, led by the Pharaoh Akhenaten uh, with his great Queen Nefertiti, and and with the watchful presence spiritually of his mother Queen T. So we were able to make a trip in Kemet in Egypt to the new city of God created by Amenophis the Third, and it, with its new temples and a new formation and a re-emphasis of the spiritual oneness of God, as opposed to this enormous accumulation of material wealth. And so the happy story is so deep because not only was the, were Africans able to create a, an economic process that produced this great wealth, they were able to see the negative value of wealth production that lacked spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to leave the greatest city of the ancient world Luxor uh, today, Thebes in Greek times, and Waset in ancient African Kemetic times. And that great city of 100 gates showed what economic development could be about and building uh, the, the, the great temples and, and uh, the, the temple of Waset uh, was the, the training ground for the, for the male leaders and, and extending out with a mile of sphinx was an umbilical cord from the temple of Raset, where the leadership was trained uh, in in the special knowledge and understanding of the world and the afterworld. Uh, It extended to the great Karnak temple complex, the greatest temple complex of its kind where each of the great leaders, males and male and female, had to contribute to its development. It was the a manifestation of the the god Amun, the the great greatest divine figure in the uh, pantheon of ancient comedic god figures. And so everybody had to identify with God and and build something significant in this Karnak temple complex, which was linked to the leadership development by a row of hundreds of sphinx, a mile uh, of sphinx. That city and its greatness uh, from its early times, 3000 BC to uh, the old pyramid, first 
uh, kingdom. And then after a period of disruption and and um, a fall in the economic achievement, uh, there comes a, a middle kingdom, 2100 BC. So you have 3100 BC, the unification and the creation of the old kingdom. And these uh, dates are flexible, but you need to see uh, the periodic flow of this development and this economic achievement. And after uh, hundreds of years and many dynasties, uh, a rulership, a great achievement was was made in mathematics and philosophy and medicine and archaeology and so-called theology and statecraft and spirituality and linking human development to the afterlife. And so our relationship with the God consciousness, consciousness of the universe is what this great building was all about based upon an economics that came from the overflow of denial, which was so persistent and so accurate that you could study the heavenly bodies, the movement of the heavenly bodies, and you could predict when the Nile was going to rise, when heaven was going to rise, and when it was going to overflow. And then after the overflow, the richness of inner Africa in terms of soil would be deposited along the banks of the Nile, called in ancient times happy, and uh, that would allow, after a period of time, the fertilization of the banks and then the growing of several crops thereafter, all of it time to the movement of the heavenly bodies. And so this deep culture that Africans created and made manifest and shared with the world has been pushed aside by people focusing on its material significance. So people would rather and have focused on the tomb discoveries of a minor king, King Tutankhamun, affectionately called King Tut, who was one of the lesser kings of this enormous uh, dynasty uh, in the New Kingdom, and then the transformation of it under the Pharaoh Agnaten, and they call that the Amana period. But people having the British discoveries, having discovered this minor tomb and the gold that was in it, have been seduced in thinking that gold was the significant achievement of these folks when, in point of fact, these building and the making significant spirituality was their greater achievement. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they could move away from the city of 100 gates, uh, Luxor now and Thebes in Greek times and, and Waset in, in ancient comedic times, they moved out and with the Armada Revolution and built a new city of God to put the centrality of spirituality at the heart of things. So that what we're opening up with the happy uh, film process is looking deep at the cultural contributions and the systems that Africans developed. And so I'm so glad to be a part of it, just as I was glad to be involved in getting this knowledge into my hands as a 10 and 11 year older mm. in my home. Now that's when I started. I'm 80 now. So wow. 70, 70 years ago, in my living room, my mother had 
bought what they call a secretariat and uh, you can open it up and it's a desk and it has a bookcase above it. Well, in that. that in that secretariat in the living room, she was able to put some special knowledge there. And that chapter of my life, I'm calling it, Where is the Funk? <laughs> and so people are going to say, well, what did Dr. Jeffrey deal with all the serious stuff? And now you got a, a title of each one, one title of a chapter called, Where is the Funk? Well, that's going to leave an impression in everybody's mind because what my mother did, this special little spirit that raised us and helped my big six foot five father be, be a great father and help the community um, because of the hundred kids I grew up with, 90 of us made it big. So we had a village in Newark, New Jersey, in which all of this knowledge and whatnot was transmitted to these young youngsters. And, mm -hmm. and so many of us made it. But in our living room, we had the Funk and Wagnall Encyclopedia. Yeah, that's where the funk comes from. That's where the funk comes from. And I actually have the papers that I did in the sixth grade. Um, the first one was on, on Egypt. Mm. Um, and I, I was an artist of sorts, and I, I did the, outline the cover showing the unfinished, the building of the pyramids and showing a sphinx there, which I've copied out of, of uh, the encyclopedia, I'm sure, because I had never visited Egypt and never had that knowledge and never got it in school. Mm -hmm. But in my living room, I am showing the pyramids and the sphinx. I'm talking about the overflow of the Nile, uh, happy. I didn't name it happy because I didn't, that wasn't a part of the knowledge flow at the time. But I'm talking about the significance of the flow tied to the movement of the heavenly bodies and that you could have this rich crop. And that became the basis for economic development and denial. Mm -hmm. And so uh, because my mother was so serious about educating us at home before we went to school, and I have all of my report cards from grade one, grade, grade one to grade nine, but to have this uh, almost 20-page handwritten paper about the Nile Valley mm. uh, in my consciousness, and then, but I got a C. And uh, we were in an integrated school, largely white, with a few of us black kids there. And so my next paper I did on Mesopotamia. Mm. And I also drew the cover and, and uh, uh, drawings inside. And then I got a B. Mm. And then later in the, in the school year, I did uh, Greece uh, using that same Funkin' Wagnalls. And I grew, drew on the cover the Greek with the toga, with the Greek uh, outfit on, holding uh, 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 the knowledge. And I got an A. So, oh, uh -huh. so I think when I first did the first paper, uh, and I'm lefty, but they trained us to, to penmanship. And so it's a, a, a beautiful handwritten uh, paper. And uh, so I guess she said, well, this young black man is, uh, you know, um, we'll have to see more of his work. So I got a C. And I'm, I call it a C for being colored. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And then when I started to prove myself and I did Mesopotamia, I got a B for being black. Uh -huh. 
And then when I did the uh, project on Greece, I got my A for African. And uh, of course, the teacher was giving me her, her formula for grading, which would be B, uh, C, B, and A. My formula was using the ethnic process. And I told my students, I said, you come into my classes at City College and all of you are equal, white, black, blue, green, Muslim, uh, Buddhist, or Christian, and you all have a C for colored. Mm-hmm. And you can work hard and master the knowledge, buy the books, study them, write the term papers and the 10 essays that are required. And you can work up to a B for black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then if you want that A, you got to put in an extra special effort and if you do, you can get that A for African. Beautiful. I love that. And then, but I, you know, with me, I have to always leave something for the students to remember. I said with the African understanding of the law of opposites, you can work hard and go up, or you can sit on your butt and do nothing and go down. Mm-hmm. So even though you come in with a C for color, everybody is on the same plane. If you don't do any work, don't get serious about the great uh, material that we put before you, the great work of Dr. Shekanti Jip, who is our greatest scholar and produced a monumental work, Civilization and Barbarism. Mm-hmm. And then some of his other works was the Cultural Unity of Africa and also uh, a, a composite work done by Dr. Mercer Cook of Howard University, which is the African Origin of Civilization, Myth or Reality. These are the books that we I wanted the students to be serious about and make that a part of their armor to fight for the African truth and to beat back the lie of of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And so, but I told the students, you start out equal, no matter who you are, but if you don't do the work, you can start sliding back to a D for doofus and dummy, or you can get an F <laughs> and very, very rarely did I give out Fs because the students really once they got my drift and they saw what I was trying to do, students who had not been expected to achieve achieved. Mm-hmm. I mean they so this to teach this uh, to students and to wake them up was one of the most extraordinary things that I was able to do. And as I was starting out to say. Brother Taki, uh, first under under guard because Egypt was going through some changes at that point. So we had military guard in front and military guard in the back vehicles, and we had an armed guard on our bus. But we did tell Amana, and and then we went back to Cairo and then flew from the capital of the Republic of Egypt to the Sudan and um, the Republic of the Sudan. And that was an extraordinary experience. Well, when we came into Cairo, because it's one of the busiest airports in the world because of the achievements of of the ancients in the uh, Egypt, uh, Taki and his wife 
at the time and his daughter, they were able to go up front because you had a child and they didn't have to stand in line with the hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And so I um, stood in line and waited patiently. And all of a sudden I heard somebody yell, Uncle Lenny. And uh, so then I realized they were calling me. Mm-hmm. So I went to the front, past all of these hundreds of people. And uh, uh, because of the little girl who was five or six months old, and she was just a young baby, uh, she opened the door for us, and I was able to get into uh, Egypt without the difficulty, but with with the respect that they have for children. Then when we flew, we flew down to Cairo, which is hundred uh, to the Sudan from Cairo, hundreds of miles away. Um, and they are known to be tough. I had to do extra things to show that I was a serious uh, scholar in order to get the visa for the Sudan. And um, and because of the baby, they were able to go through and because of um, the family relationship in the Sudan, they were able to go through and I was there being heavily scrutinized by the security. And then uh, Taki came back with his daughter in his hand and uh, in his arms and he said, uh, uh, Dr. J, is everything all right? And I said, well, um, they're trying to make decisions about letting me in the country. And once this security guard looked up and saw that baby mm. and uh, he told me, go, 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 get out of here. <laughs> oh, wow. So the young child was a uh, opener of the way, and and even when we were in, in Egypt, she she was enjoying the the great temples and and whatnot. And we went to the Valley of the Kings, and I, I remember her being carried onto the great stepped temple of Hatshepsut, and uh, which is right next to her relative Tutmosis III, and which is right next to uh, Amenemet the second, who was one of the founders of the Middle Kingdom. So, I mean, so the Nile is so rich when you go deep and you get into the values and what all this stuff means. And and in order to do all of this, you needed wealth, you needed economics, and that came from the crops that were organized with the overflow and the irrigation ditches that took the uh, overflow further out and uh, two or three crops coming through the, this process. So uh, the, for us to deal with happy and it's significant economically for development uh, is, is enormous. And what I, I need to say is when I try to teach this significance economically, I also link economics to politics and to culture. So I say that the real development includes those three aspects. And uh, uh, and allows you to develop systems, and so. Uh, what are those? What are those? What are those three? The culture uh, using, using the triangle shape of the pyramid to see this in your mind's eye. Sure. Uh, the equilateral triangle. On the left, you have the, the foundation principle. It's really thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, which is what the ancients developed and then passed on to the Greeks, and then 
eventually the Germans picked it up, but the concept of thesis, the foundation, and the opposite antithesis, and bringing the two together to produce a synthesis, that's deep non-valley-African. So I used the uh, half-valley-African. So I used the triangle shape. At the left side is economics, the first principle of the universe. Because if you don't have your productive, creative capability under your control, you really can't develop. And so economics is the first principle, not only of the economy of economics to produce food to to live, uh, but the economics of the cells of your body, they have to be productive or creative. Everything has to be productive or creative, otherwise it dies. And so economics as a first principle is linked to politics. And so at the opposite end of the equilateral triangle, you have politics. Economics is your creative productive capability. Politics is your management capability, your administrative capability. Everything that's going to live and function has to be properly managed and administrated. Otherwise, it does not properly grow, and it might die an early death. So the foundation of life is economics and politics. Not economics of the capitalist system, or not politics of the so-called democracy that we have, or the kingdoms that the British have, but governance, managing your ability to control your life, mm-hmm. and production controlling in a systemic way your productivity and your capability. But none of these things, your productivity and your capability around economics and your administrative uh, and uh, political management around politics, none of it will hang together for you and benefit you unless there is the summit uh, of it all, and that is culture. So culture tells you what type of economics to develop and culture tells you who to do your politics with. And so that triangle of, of um, economics, politics, and culture deals with systems. Every system has an economic management, economic productive component. Every system has a political management administrative component. And every system has a a deep cultural component, which can be superficial in terms of dance and drumming, or it can be deep in terms of spirituality. And so um, that's, in other words, in order to deal with the 6,000 years of the human family on the planet in its later stage, and the 200,000 years of the human family in its uh, earlier stage and the millions of years of the human family in its initial stages, uh, you have to have a, a timeline in your mind. In fact, you have to have three things going using the pyramidal formula. Again, you have to have epistemology. Now, epistemology sounds like a big term, but it, it has to do with knowing. How do you know what you know? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to master this knowledge and and the film Happy is going to take you to new levels, uh, then you're going to have to put in place this formula that I'm talking about. 
most of what we know comes from the system of white supremacy or a system of ignorance. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be, uh, we have to rework that and, uh, and understand that that's our reality, that some other people took the knowledge they thought they had and then put it into a economic, political, and cultural formula and then imposed it upon us. So as we break from that and create an African Renaissance, the newness of, of things, we got to deal with the pyramid again, pyramidal shape and processing information, uh, epistemology. And so you have to understand as you put a, a pyramid, sh- a triangle shape under the first polarity, which is epistemology, that you should be educated by the truth. And that would be the truth of the African experience. But unfortunately, we are educated by the great lie of white supremacy and the multiple lies of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need a personal uh, rebirth and regeneration. You have this knowledge of miseducation so, so ingrained in you. It's in the culture of this nation that you need a special process. You need a baptism into a new way of thinking in and whatnot. And so going to the Nile Valley, going to West Africa, going to Southern Africa, going to North Africa uh, becomes a pilgrimage so that you can redo yourself right, and create a new frame of reference. But epistemology knowing is complemented by the opposite or another dimension, and that is chronology. Chronology is a timeline in your mind that uh, you have to know that there's a biblical tradition, the Abrahamic tradition that says something about uh, the creator or God creating uh, the world and the universe in six days and then rested on the seventh and um, all that is this magnificent, unbelievable uh, universe that we live in was created and then it became part of our blessing. Now that sounds very good. It's wonderful. And everybody has their own traditions about what is the divine order of the universe and who what is the God consciousness and how does it reflect you? But in order to appreciate the fullness of it, you've got to have that you do not know the African. So you have to begin a monumental search for the, what we call the ancient African history, ancient medieval African history, ancient uh, modern African history. <laughs> so we, you, you are being miseducated and misdirected because a system of white supremacy has gotten control of your flow of knowledge and the images that you think are important. In order to put the truth in place, you need a chronology. So epistemology begets chronology. And chronology is is a timeline. You need a timeline in your mind. And if you look at the timeline of the ancient, uh, coming out of Ur and Chaldea called the ancient Hebrews, and you look at a timeline later of the ancient Greeks, 
and you look at a timeline later of the Romans who succeeded them, and, and you look at a timeline of uh, the so-called modern Europeans uh, that become the, the Christians, uh, we have, you know, we, we've got to raise certain questions. And it's hard because we believe in the tradition that says these biblical things are the truth and nothing but the truth. And we have to raise questions. And when you do that, you may lose your grandmama because she said, what are you doing, boy? Who's been teaching you all of this? You may lose your wife because she has uh, this bedrock of the Judeo-Christian Islamic experience for her to hang on to and to build. And most people don't think that the African has anything that can be useful. So when you say that the mothership is Africa, and if you you hang on to some logs uh, that have been floating in the ocean and, and uh, in the w- water that allowed you to, you know, to keep your head above water. And that, and I would say that's survival culture. That survival culture for the world has been around today, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, uh, and, uh, and Greek and Roman culture. Uh, the real deal is the African mothership. And most of us don't even understand that, that, it's past us and it'll be coming around again and we still hanging on this log of survival culture when we really need to be into developmental culture and the most important thing for development is spirituality not materiality materiality is finite spirituality is infinite it is forever it is this consciousness of spirituality uh, that has allowed for folks to fathom what is God and, and what is the nature of, of the, the God consciousness, etc. So we have a responsibility. We have number one, epistemology. Number two is chronology. What's number three? And number three, the synthesis is axiology. And let me give credit to Dr. Wade Nobles for this. He's done many great things. One of our great brothers, younger than me by a few years, uh, you know, I'm 80, he's into his 70s now. Um, and Professor Small, I'm older than him also, 80s. I'm between the Dr. Clark uh, and the Dr. Ben into the 90s and 100. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, Wade came up with epistemology, chronology, and axiology is the values. So when you look at this knowledge, you need to know where it's coming from. When you look at this knowledge, you need to know from what time period does it uh, relate. And when you look at this knowledge, you have to say, what are the values? So when you look at the pyramids, you don't think in terms of of people building it with mud and straw, because that could not possibly be. Uh, It's two million granite blocks. Two plus million granite blocks went in to build a great pyramid. Mm -hmm. How could this be done? How physically could it be put in place? How long did it take? How many thousands and tens of thousands of people participated? Because the building for eternity meant that you had a place in eternity. Mm-hmm. It was not built by enslaved peoples. There was no uh, uh, building. Built by engineers. It was built by engineers, and it was built in the African 3C value system of communal culture value system of communal cooperative and collective living. That yeah. third factor, that 
axiology has to deal with values. And the values of African economic, political, and cultural achievement is centered around what I call the three C's. First of all, you live together communally. You extend from your biological family out to your uh, biogenetic family and then out to your ethnic family. So we are extensions of each other in a deep way. Our foundation value system is the three C's, communal living together. And in order to achieve, we learned from the very beginning that you can't achieve by yourself. Individuality is a limitation. You need uh, collective cooperative living and, and, and so working together. So you communal living together is enhanced by cooperative working together. And then that is transmitted and, uh, and shared with what we can call collective values. So communal, cooperative, and collective is the value system, the deep value system that enhances and makes real the economics of happy. And so until you can put some of these concepts together and relate them, you really can't go deep. And, and axiology is the values, the values of living together and sharing. And the African value system is not just a few survivors in a cave in Europe in the Ice Age period, the African family is not that unit of survival in a cave or unit of survival on a lake or unit of survival on the shore in the forest. The African consciousness of what a family is includes, again, using the triangle shape of the pyramid, a family has a root way back in history to the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. So the African family goes back to the beginning of the human family. And then the African living family extends out to people that are not even blood. Mm -hmm. And that African family extending from the ancestors to this extended living family is not just left with the living material uh, physical family. The African family going to the top of the pyramid uh, to the to the reality that what we do is not just for ourselves and not just for those remembering those who went before us, but what we do is for the yet to be born. Mm -hmm. So that's the deep African family structure, you know, linking to the ancestors that began the march of humankind, linking to all human spirits that are on the planet, and you are spiritually connected to those yet to come. Oh. Hey, that's deep, bro. You yeah. don't learn that. Yeah, <laughs> that's phenomenal. You know, you are spiritually connected to those that are yet born. That's oh right. my God, that's amazing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so oh, you're, I love that. you're building these enormous structures, not just for a person, a king or a queen, mm -hmm. but the person and king or queen are the leaders into eternity. Wow. For everybody. So thousands, tens of thousands worked on building the pyramids because that was ensuring them a spot in the eternity of this enormous life. And so, I, A, our presence on the planet is so significant and so wonderful 
that we have to throw off this yoke of inferiority as quickly as we can and put, and what I say, Africanize our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a real problem because some people say, well, uh, uh, Dr. Jeffrey, I'm interested in Black Lives Matter. Well, Black Lives ain't going to matter if you don't Africanize Black Lives <laughs> You know, well, Dr. J, I'm interested in, 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 in gay lives matter. Well, gay lives ain't going to matter if you don't Africanize it, because that's the spiritual component that you're bringing into the picture. Absolutely. You know, and uh, 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 it really ain't going to matter if you don't have some money. Uh, yes, it does. Harriet Tubman ain't had no money. She gave up potential money for the way out of slavery, and then spirit told her that you have the power to transcend fear and go into enslavement, pulling out black people after black people again and again, risking her life. So she's not only a role model and, 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 and a, a, a model to teach us, but she's a spirit model. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and as she went into the darkness, into the swamps to try to pull people out, she carried the necessary ingredients in her heart and in her mind and physically in her strength, but she also carried in her gown, in her clothing, a weapon. And that weapon just wasn't for the hound dogs or the people chasing her. That weapon was for Negroes who did not want to leave slavery. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And she knew that it was a question of liberty or death. Mm-hmm. If we leave you here, you'll betray us. And so that Harriet Tubman story, we need to go deep into that story. Yeah, and there were, there were lots of Harriet Tubmans. And so Nat Turner, Nat Turner, the revolt that he, he led in Virginia, he did not think it could be done until the stars were aligned Properly, just like happy does not overflow until the stars are aligned in a certain way. And when there was an eclipse, which was August the 21st, 1822, uh, uh, 1831, when there was an eclipse, that's what he said. That's the sign from the creator to throw off this yoke of inferiority and all this brainwashing, and all this fear, etc. So we just recently had an eclipse around the same time. Absolutely. And so we kind of seen that turn, but he's hidden from his birthday, if you will. Yes, yes. So, I mean, this stuff is very heavy, and it takes off this enormous yoke that the society wants to place on us, that we're lesser than, that we've contributed nothing. When in in fact, America couldn't be America without great without our greatness in terms of our ability to build without and God, without and nature seeing us first. Absolutely. Yes. And so we, we need to change all of that. So that's why what uh, Taki and the others helping him do is is so enormous. So we can say read the books by Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark because they're schools of knowledge. Read the books by Dr. Jeff and and uh, Dr. Theophila Bender, read the books by Dr. Francis Creswell and, and uh, Dr. Marimba Ani and others, but you got to go deep. And so that means with the knowledge in the books, you have to say, how can it be transformative? 
How can it transform me? Because life is change, transformation, and rebirth. And every cell in your body goes through that. Every system of cells in your body that are your organs goes through that. All of the universe goes through that. And so we are duty-bound to be alive and to transform. But you can transform in the correct way or you can go in the wrong way. So instead of regeneration, you can go into degeneration. Mm-hmm. And so if you stay on the ignorant path, you're definitely going to head toward degeneration. If you don't eat the right things or breathe the right things to nourish your body, you're going to go into degeneration and not into regeneration. And so we have to have the science of living. And that's why I say when we're Africanizing our lives, we're going into the science of the universe, not the science of the word that somebody wrote and put in the book. And not the word that somebody else came along and saw the book and said, I'm going to rewrite it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put the word. And not the word that somebody, Johnny, come lately, uh, like the Mormons coming to uh, the picture. And they're going to come up with some new writing of the book. And so the science of living life to its fullness is what the Africans left us. And that's what Africans culture, uh, African culture is. You know, it ain't no dancing, jumping up and down like the folks from the Caribbean are going to be doing uh, this weekend. The biggest crowd in the world, three million people going to be jumping up and down on Eastern Parkway, mm-hmm. grabbing their genitals and shaking their butt. Mm-hmm. That's a good time. That's not a cultural regeneration. Mm-mm. That's uh, sh- uh, uh, energizing and throwing off that energy. Deep culture is you go into the mind of the universe. And that mind of the universe is what you have in your head. And so, hey, we need to change this whole thing. So um, I give thanks that um, our brother had a chance to do it. I know he did it to me when he took me to the, uh, Telemana because I had this love for cream tea and this understanding of of Amenophis the the third, her great husband, mm-hmm. and how great a man he was, and her son, the Ferragnaton. And then after we left Queen T and flew down to Nubia, I mean I we did a tape. We didn't have the quality that he now is u- utilizing for happy, but there was a Nubian tape and I declared that Nubian Nubia is the keystone of African history because it allows you to deal with the Nile Valley in so-called Egypt, the Happy Valley, but it it allows you to deal with the highlands of Ethiopia that are part of this uh, great movement. It allows you to deal with the Sudan, which is the upper part of the Happy Valley. And it allows you to relate to the Rift Valley, which is the 3,000 mile uh, cut in the earth that goes 3,000 and a half miles into 3,500 miles into the heart of Africa and goes through uh, e- Egypt and Ethiopia and, uh, and Sudan down into uh, Kenya and uh, Uganda and Kenya. So uh, 
And that cutaway of the earth allows you to see the various stages of the earth's development and and the humans on on that on the earth. So hey, the best thing that has happened to me is to have this explosion of knowledge about who and what we are. And so it allows us to challenge the municipalities of miseducation and destruction and death. And so in death, there will be new life. And so uh, we're seeing it now. There's a flood mm-hmm. in Houston. But out of that flood and the death and destruction will come a a new life. And the same thing in New Orleans. Now, the, it happened during Katrina, but what has happened is white folks who have the positions of power will be trying to create a new life that eliminates us. Mm-hmm. So they'll be restructuring Houston where the black districts will not be rebuilt. They'll mm-hmm. be they restructured uh, New Orleans uh, to make sure that New Orleans as a black city would never be the same. And so they are restructuring as we as we speak now. New York, Harlem, uh, my hometown, North New Jersey, is being restructured in terms of materialistic white culture. And we have to say, wait a minute, if we're going to function together on the planet, you're going to have to share uh, the planet with peoples of color, and you're going to have to put in check this materialistic dimension, which means you go all, all over the world raping and pillaging people, stealing their lands, killing them in genocidal process, saying you, you're doing it all in the name of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, your God, certainly not in the creator of the universe. Uh, that are the deeper understandings of, of, of the divine and spiritual principle. Mm-hmm. So, hey, these are good times. When I went to Nubia, and we were able to see the Nubian pyramidal phenomena. It was not the gigantic uh, granite structures of the Gita Plateau in Kemet, uh, Egypt. It was villages of smaller pyramids made out of the material that's available there, which would be um, uh, the uh, baked stone and, and, and smaller stone structures. Mm-hmm. But the, instead of seeing two or three, as you might see in the Giza Plateau, mm-hmm. you're looking at a village of 25. Mm. And so, and then you go to, uh, that's Nuri, and then you go to another part of the Sudan and, and, uh, and Akuru, and there's another village of 30 or 40. And then you go near the holy mount of um, of Jebel Barkha, uh, which is the abode, the southern abode of Amun, just like the great Karnak temple complex in the north is the northern abode of Amun. And the northern abode is made by human hands inspired by the divine order of the universe. So each person, each leader makes a contribution in some way to this complex of spiritual uh, temples. But the Holy Mount and that the, those spiritual temples are the uh, 
the northern abode of the god figure Amun, who is at the head of the the uh, parade of of uh, human of deities. But the southern abode in the Sudan comes out of the nature of development. In other words, part of the myth and, and the legends in the Nile Valley tradition and the Medunetra is that out of the primal waters of Nun emerged the mind of the universe. And it was Pata. And so this natural phenomena of of humanity emerging out of out of the water, uh, this you come across the Sudan areas and you and you everything is flat and sandy and all of a sudden near the river is this mountain, and so the Africans began to look at it as a representation of the afterlife. And they began to build their temples around the mountain. And one temple, the temple of Mut, the female goddess figure, is carved inside of the temple. And the royal children are born inside because it is like the womb of the human. And so, and then not too far from it, you have a temple extending out from the the mountain, like the temple of of Oaset in um, or the temple of Amun in what we call Luxor today, and the ancient times was Thebes, and in the African ancient times was Waset. You have the temple extending out representing the male just as you carved inside to represent the female genitalia you have the temple extending out to represent the male genitalia wow that's what i say wow wow and when we got there at that uh, first night and we got to the temple of amun and there was the altar which was as high as me I said, we have to pour life benching to acknowledge all of this, and mm-hmm. we've got to uh, take pictures. So there is a picture of me with our, our Nubian brother, Rusty, on the other side, and we're standing next to an altar that was as tall as me. Mm. So you can imagine what the temple was. It was, uh, uh, so you have a northern temple to the God's force, and you have a southern temple to the God's force. The Northern Temple is, is God-inspired but man-made. The Southern Temple is made by the creative force of the universe that we call by many names, including God. And then we went on. We went traveling a few more days. Later, we traveled to the Dafufa, to Kerma. And there is... A, Construction there again made out of uh, uh, brick and not the granite that you have in in, in so-called Egypt, mm-hmm. but there is a eastern Dafufa, and that is the burial ground, and it is closer to 
uh, the river uh, because it was tracing, crossing over the river that took you into uh, the underworld or the spirit world. Mm-hmm. But the western defufa is a, a mound structure built, built, and that's the political uh, power. And so um, it, it, it's fantastic how they were able to have these ideas and follow them out with architecture and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a picture of me 150 feet up on this uh, man-made um, structure that represented the citadel or the, or the ruling um, political structure. And then you could look down a mile or two and see the other uh, structure that represents, uh, you know, the um, uh, political. So, uh, and, and we, we we need to s- switch that so people understand that in the Nile Valley um, iconography and their belief system. Uh-huh. The great building took place on both sides of the Nile, but on the western side was the burial ground in which you made your transition to eternity. And on the eastern side was the institutions that led to you imitating the the greatness of the past. And that's the learning process. So there's a complementary, the Western Dufufa reflecting that and the Eastern Dufufa reflecting what was developed uh, later in the Nile Valley, uh, in the North Egypt, and in the South of Sudan. So I'm forever grateful for talking. In fact, I think there's a statement uh, of me saying uh, when he was taping it, and he didn't have the professional equipment, so you could hear the uh, the wind, and when we're up on the Tafufa, 150 or 200 feet up, and you could, uh, he was taping me when we were driving in the vehicle, and mm-hmm. you could hear. Uh, the, so the sound is not what it should be, but I clearly stated that now I know why I've always had this this feeling for Nubia, uh, oh, because, okay. because it is the spirit heart of the uh, African Nile Valley happy world. Egypt is the is the material heart. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you can take a mast of King Tut and it means something special to the European world because it was gold. Mm-hmm. But to the African world and especially in the Nubia, what counted was what was done with spirit. Mm-hmm. And that was and so they had plenty of gold and uh, all of now north and south, but Nubia was particularly desired. And when there was conflict between the north and the south, uh, one of the desires was to control the flow of gold. And so there were wars between these brothers, north and south. But what the European world wants to say is the people in the north were really white, and uh, and the people in the south were were African. They can't deny that. 
Because if somebody is as blue black as I am, you're supposed to be able to say, "Wait a minute, brother, <laughs> you may have some, you know, some little thin lips, and you got a little nose." That I, I say to my folks who say see that in me, I say that nose is the Native American nose. It ain't no European nose, but we know we got we got European genes and blood in us too. But the most important blood in us is that which comes from the original man and woman. The original spirit force in the universe, and that's what we're calling African, or by any other name, uh, we're referring to. So, brother, as a, as a uh, a professor teaching for over fifty years, I, I can go on for hours. But uh, you, know, you can, and you, it's you amazing. Must, you must I have will. a question or two that you. <laughs> Well, I did have a question or two, Doc. Uh, about an hour ago, I did have a few questions that I wanted to go uh, and ask you, but you, in, in, in the craziest way, you actually answered the questions as, uh, throughout the lecture, which is just divine, right? So I do want to – we're going to schedule uh, your, your, your next uh, 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 radio show appearance on the show because I do want to talk about um, – your views uh, on the Eurasian. And, uh, you know, I guess in, in a sense, what, if you will, what got you into trouble some years ago. Uh, but as I have read through all of those materials, I could not find anything that you have said that was not true. So I'm very curious why there was such a backlash and outrage because well, everything that I, I've read yeah. that you have ever said on that, and I have gone very deep in the research, you are 100% correct and have, and, and it's been proven. So I, I'm, 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 I would love to have that conversation with you. Right. Because we were involved and, and we'll have it, but we need to understand and we're still in the middle of what we call the cultural wars. Mm-hmm. And and then when they realized we were getting into this information, um, Dr. Jacob Carruthers has a great analysis of this period. He was one of our leading, leading uh, spiritual motivated brothers. And and from Texas, San Antonio area, and, and Asa Higa had a Texas route too. But mm-hmm. uh, what uh, the great work by Dr. Carruthers is intellectual warfare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we we want integration because we want peace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they only want integration by their standards. Mm-hmm. Like they'll integrate us in enslavement if we'll be the slaves. And they'll integrate us in modern society if we'll be at the bottom of the society, quietly contributing as all we can, but not taking a leadership. And so mm-hmm. uh, we are the leadership of the human family. We can't take a backseat. No, and okay. so um, we're leadership in terms of science and spirituality, a leadership in terms of political science and uh, all kinds of other institutional development, socialization and acculturation. So uh, these folks who have Johnny come lately jumped out ahead of us mm-hmm. and they come from Eurasia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no intention of giving up their lead. 
And, and so one of the greatest conspiracies in the history of the world was erected against a professor trying to teach his little bit of the truth as he continues to grow. And they, in the intellectual warfare and the cultural wars, they picked the right person. Mm. And that right person was me. Was you, absolutely. Nobody else had been so prepared by the circumstance of their life and the life of their ancestors. Mm -hmm. Nobody else was so prepared to stand in the breach and take anything they threw at me and and bat it away. The most significant of my generation is Dr. Asa Hiyu. Mm -hmm. So spiritually uh, fortified that he was able to take the knowledge of Shekhanta Diop's great discoveries, because Shekhanta Diop's book, Civilization of Barbarism, gives us the victory. And so he's been publishing since the 40s, 50s, when he went to Paris in the 40s, and in 47, his mentor, Alian Diop, and his wife, Madame Diop, put up Presence Africaine. That became the base for Shekhanta to fight this spiritual warfare and this intellectual warfare. And his great book, Civilization of Barbarism, is the victory. Mm-hmm. There's no other work, there's no other scientific information that can contest his four-part book. And so everybody should take that book, and I'll try to break it down, um, you know, when we meet again. Mm-hmm. But people need to make sure. I tell people you need to buy this book and put it on your night table. Mm-hmm. It may be too difficult for you to read because the first 120 pages is the scientist speaking to the scientific world. So I had trouble with it when I tried to go to Europe and Switzerland uh, to take a sabbatical leave at the ordering of Dr. Clark. It was too difficult for me, mm-hmm. the first 100 pages. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was able to... Uh, you speak five languages, do you not? No, no. Now, see, that's an exaggeration. Okay. I, I speak, I understand and speak a little Ebonics. That's our language. And uh, <laughs> and, the, and the and the language of the of the slave master in this part of the world, English I've mastered. And then his partner in this part of the world was someone who uh, was from France. I've mastered France. I had the nerve to try to learn Russian in Switzerland while I was mastering French. And I still have my Russian textbook that I was learning from. (laughs) Wow. And then I, in college, uh, in in graduate school, because they want you to have two languages, uh, I had uh, uh, my home language, the language I grew up with is English, and, and I had to take I took French, but the other language, because I was in the School of International Affairs, I got the first master's essay from Columbia in their um, a program of African studies in the School of International Affairs, and then I went on to get the PhD. But the other language that I, I chose was Portuguese. So mm-hmm. I, I have that knowledge, but my Portuguese teacher, a lovely uh, woman, she said, Dr. Jeffries, I wasn't Dr. then, she said, Len, Len Jeffries, 
you are so into the French, you've mastered it so, that you'll never really be able to speak Portuguese the way you should. Because Portuguese is one of those romance languages that comes out of the ancient Latin. And so she said, for example, the word grand in English, Mm G-R-A-N-D. In French, it's grand. You got to give it that majestic grand. In Spanish, it's grande. You give it that sharp turn. In Portuguese, you have to go guttural, grande. (laughs) I do have the working knowledge of these languages including Russian but I can't say I speak them fluently and whatnot. and then the greatest language I'm mastering is the spiritual language and um, so that's something new that's exploding and uh, so many of us are looking to that, and in order to do that, you need, you need to master the ancient uh, meru nature of the Nile, mm-hmm. and that's what my wife has done. And uh, one of her Shout great out teachers. To Shout out to Rosalind Jeffries. Yes. Yes, Dr. Rosalind Jeffries, Harlem, a queen born in Harlem, a graduate of Hunter Hunter College, uh, NYU with with uh, a master's and then a Yale PhD in master's. So this little special spirit from Harlem uh, went out and mastered the European educational system because she had a deep foundation in the African. She went to Africa before I did. She went in 1960. Mm. And we met as a result. And she was in Nigeria before it became independent. Mm. And uh, she was so into the African spirituality through the art that she brought back many pieces of African art. And so she has become one of the leading experts in the world in terms of African art and culture in black America, in the Caribbean, in South America, and certainly on the African continent. Well, let her know I want her, I want her on the show. Well, she, she <laughs> would be anxious to come, except she knows that the exposure to what we're doing would be would renew the attacks that they are never going to forgive us for uh, revealing this truth and uh, so she has stood by me as the biggest attacks in the history of the world were thrown at me and she's been there to support me but we're 80 now and we want the rest of y'all to find some strength so y'all can stand up there and, and show the world that we're not afraid of this truth. And everybody in the world has got to deal with it. But the others who worship Greek civilization, uh, they can't accept this African truth. And that's what Columbia University is all about. Mm-hmm. It's the epitome of Greek civilization. You go into the big library, the main functioning library is the Butler Library. And it's a, it's a Greek temple copied from the Egyptians it's like the Washington Monument in style. And on each pillar is a Greek philosopher, Homer or Aristotle or Plato or Socrates, Socrates, all of those are on the pillars. And so I went in there knowing that this was a copy and inspired by Africa. 
but they're not going to teach that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so we understand that the European wants to say that he was the founders of culture and civilization, and the and the pseudo-European, the so-called Middle Easterner, wants to say that he is the chosen of God. When in point of fact, that can't be. The the Creator chose us. Absolutely. And there's nothing that we can do about it except to appreciate it and throw off this yoke of inferiority and spread this truth to all peoples on the planet because they all come out of the African being pool and process. So it was, was they met in the suites and they said, who is the one who has the ability to carry this message forth? They knew about Dr. Clark, but Dr. Clark was completing his mission, and he encouraged me. They knew about Dr. Ben, and uh, fortunately for me, I had gone through their million-dollar white boy education. Mm -hmm. No one can contest the degrees that I got Mm -hmm. from Lafayette College as not a student, from Columbia Master's Program, from Columbia Ph.D., uh, from Switzerland, certificate of uh, for international affairs. No, no one can contest that. And so, when I go, and when the people put me forth to be a consultant uh, and looking at the curriculum and and evaluating it, um, there was not going to be any questions about the degrees that that there might be. Dr. Clark didn't have the opportunity to get these degrees that I have. Mm-hmm. Was white boy education. He comes out of a sheer proper son's experience. The fact that he could master it, self-taught, um, and it is the greatness of a Dr. Clark. All of us with the PhDs uh, uh, kneel down to him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Dr. Ben says he has so many degrees, um, but some of them were out of the country, so it'd be hard to prove. Mm-hmm. And so the person who had the degrees was myself who had the experience was myself. And so I was willing to take on uh, the battle. And, but I had the support of all of my brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. all of the institutions and churches, no matter what denomination, mm-hmm. all of the great leaders. I mean, the support was unbelievable. It was so great that I can't even uh, write it out or put it down because the people who helped and contributed to us winning this battle and this truth, they would be victimized. Mm -hmm. I got support from a number of Jewish scholars, Jewish young people, students. Uh, One, William Lauren Katz, when he jumped out there early to defend me and said, I knew that uh, um, our Jewish folks were involved in Hollywood creating a negative image of black folks. He's one of the greatest black uh, historians. Mm-hmm. He's written about the black cowboys, black inventors, black revolutions. <laughs> and they, they proceeded to attack him so viciously that I had to tell him, because when he called me, he said, I've been reading about the Jewish involvement in slavery, and I see that there was an involvement. 
So I said, bro, William Lawrence can't step aside and let us take on this battle. You've done your part. And so I didn't want his own people killing him. Wow. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and you were, you were uh, the head of the Jewish fraternity, uh, is that right? I, I've been the leader of, of most everything I've done. How that happened, I don't know. <laughs> no, because I didn't pursue it. I, I, but mm, I, think, okay. I think my grandfather, whose birthday I was born on, and his daughter, my mother, conceived greatness for me mm-hmm. and my brother. And they put it in place, and they conceived greatness with the other parents of the children we grew up with. So that's why I can say of the 100 youngsters we grew up with, 90 of us, I used to say 95, but I'm stretching that back a little bit. I'll say 90, uh, these brothers and sisters, and we can name them. We know what they've done, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, I was dreaming about being the mayor of my city, Newark, New Jersey, when I was seven or eight. A young person doesn't do that. Those, mm-hmm. were, I, those were ideas placed into me by my mother and and my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And so when I was nine or 10, I was winning the, uh, the oratorial contest. Mm. These, these little, my little peers would go up against me and they, they would get beat down. I would do it with a lot of love and affection, but they couldn't handle me. Why? Because I had a palm card in my little hand that my mother had made up that gave me the guidance to make these speeches. So I would always win the elections because uh, uh, the oratorial contest because it wasn't just me; it was they were up against me and my mother, who's the one who put those those that funk in the in the living room, uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh, who had who came up from the south, from Virginia. They came up being Booker T. Washingtonites. Put your uh-huh. buckets down where you are and develop yourself. They came up being W.E.B. Du Boisites, because W.E.B. Du Bois did a study of Farmville, Virginia, which was my mother's main growing up point. And Du Bois, one of my mother's great aunts, Pocahontas, became his one of his secretaries. Mm-hmm. So the Bois was a part of our, and he would talked about the talented ten, and then they were Garveyites. Mm-hmm. In the 1920s and 30s, Garvey's movement, great strength and power. So my problem was not Dick, Jane, and Spot, Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, and the Seven Drawers. My problem was Booker T, W.E.B., and Marcus Garvey. Wow. And so that's why at 11, 10 or 11, here I am doing this work on, on, on uh, and it was just a part of my growth and development. And then... When my younger brother came along, he wasn't the mature. Uh, I'm the oldest, and, and the oldest child gets a lot of stuff invested in him. Mm-hmm. And here he came in two years later than me. But my mother insisted that you give his younger brother, the, give my younger brother the same type of education that you gave the older one, 
and set him on a course to go to college. Mm-hmm. She had to fight for him because I was a different personality than him. Mm-hmm. But but what did he do? He completed Barringer High School. He was not the leader that I was, but he was strong brother. He played baseball and stuff, ran track uh, mm-hmm. at, at the high school. But he graduated with an academic program. He did not want to go immediately to college as I did. He went into the service mm-hmm. for whatever reason he had. And so when I went to Europe in 1959, one of the persons I went to see and greet was my younger brother, Marlon, who was there at the Darmstadt Air Force Base in Germany. Mm-hmm. So the two Jeffries boys in 1959 met at a conference. I had to go to a conference in Copenhagen or Stockholm. We met in Scandinavia. And just as my mother had said, you'll be able to travel. And sure enough, there we were together in Europe. Now, when he finished the service, and I always uh, joke and say, well, people say, did you serve in the service? I said, no, not uh, really. But my brother served four years, two for me and two for him. So when he finished the service, he had the maturity that he was looking for mm-hmm. and the mission, and he came back and he went to Central State uh, College in Ohio, and moved before Ohio. He found the love of his life, Rosie, who was at Central State. Uh, they've been together this year coming up is 50 years. My wife and I are 52. They produced these two wonderful uh, young men, just as my brother and I were two young men, wonderful young men. When we grew up, they produced these two brothers, one, the older one, attorney Hakeem Jeffries, who is the congressman, and his younger brother, Hassan, who is the professor out in Ohio, who graduated from Morehouse, with all A's except one B in four years, graduated from Duke. And the professor of history said he's the best student he's had in 35 years Mm. and went on to do his PhD. And he didn't ask his father or myself. I had wanted him maybe to do something in Africa. No, he decided to go into the struggle in black America, go to Lowndes County, Alabama. And he wrote a classic, brilliant work of the struggle of Kwame Ture and, and Julian Bond and the other students in the, in the mid-60s. And the study is called Bloody Lounge, the struggle for the vote in Lounge County. And he dedicated it. He mentions a lot of people who helped him along the way in his uh, acknowledgement. And my brother said, did you get your book? I said, I got it. He said, did you, did you open it up? I said, yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, did you see in the beginning of the book? I said, yeah, he acknowledges everybody and whatnot. And then my brother said, no, go to the first page. Mm. And, and the first page says, to Uncle Lenny for everything. Mm. We had we were so close as a family. My brother, understanding the African way, had me as the uncle in the African tradition being a major part of the development of his sons. Mm-hmm. And so I'm indebted to him. My mother was 
involved along with uh, Nana, who was his wife's uh, mother, uh, a grandmother, mother, and uh, African auntie. And so those kids have had African hands on them. And they never have given the family a day of grief in their 40 plus lives. Mm. Did you hear what I said? Yes, I did. That's amazing. No, no, it's not. Because when you look around, Asa Hilliard and Pat did it with their children. The Mm. oldest son had difficulty, but the daughters and the youngest son, uh, Hakeem, elder. uh, Asa Hilliard's son Hakeem was in Georgetown when our Hakeem was there. He was there as head of the black student law students. And he has gone on to great things. Wade Noble's children have their Brother Small's children, Professor Scobie's children, James Turner's children, uh, uh, our sisters, uh, Dr. Shelby Lewis's children, all of them because we had this thing going, have been achievers. You understand what I'm talking about? Absolutely. So I don't stand out. I'm with a group. I got all of these others uh, with me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as an example of what happens when you Africanize your life and you Africanize the lives of the people around you. Well, let me ask you this, Doc, if you have time to answer it. All of my research, all of my life, uh, in 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 a comparative analysis to the research has led me to uh, have an unyielding knowing that the Eurasian must have some level, uh, either metaphysically or genetically, some level of psychopathy. Uh, psychosis. A psychosis. It, it, yes. it does not, you know, from an from an individual or abstract, you can look at it, you know, as events popping up one at a time. But when you look at the collective, when you look at 500 years and, and what it took to create an entire society that made it normal to dehumanize a population of people, just the American story, not just, not even, you know, we can go, well, of course, we can always go back to the day that they arrived uh, and emerged from the ice. Um, they're seeing or, you can, or you can go back to feudalism. Or you can go back to the beginning of modern enslavement, which was white folks enslaving others. Yes, yes. There white or white slavery before you had the African Correct. slavery. Absolutely. So that, Absolutely. Dr. Shekhanta Diop, in his great work, is the first part is a scientist taking on the world of science and showing that there's an African origin of humankind millions of years ago, an African cradle of civilization, et cetera. Dr. Shekhanta Diop does that. In his middle chapter, which is 100 plus pages, he deals with the northern cradle and the southern cradle. Uh-huh. And he points out that all humans are Africans. Uh-huh. There's a problem with the Neanderthal and all that, but all modern humans are Africans, but those that might have been moving and peopling the earth got caught in environments that impacted on their development Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. development of the human has uh, uh, two 
foundation aspects. One is your biogenetics, what you've inherited from your ancestors. That's your foundation. But in order for you to be you, in order for me to be me, I had to have a formation. My mother, my grandfather, my family took care of that. The other people I grew up with, even those white teachers that we had in school, they helped that formation. Formation is your socialization and your acculturation, how you develop your values, your beliefs, your role models, your patterns of behavior, and how do you fit into society, acculturation. And my mother and grandfather uh, and, and others said, you, and my father, because he played with the Negro Leagues, and he was, and Jackie Robinson, as a 10-year-old, he became my model of breaking in, knocking down the barriers, and then getting in and changing. Jackie Robinson running up and down the base pad. Jackie Robinson, knowing that he was under attack, uh, he stood strong. And then the other uh, ball players followed him. And then even in that time, you had Joe Lewis, the brown bomber, knocking out uh, a white uh, uh, fighters, challenging him every month. They call it a bummer month. He was uh, not. So we had this as 10-year-old, 11-year-old that we had to fight for what we, and we could win because we had winners. Jackie in 1970, was he was the rookie of the year. I'm 10 years old and I'm thinking I'm Jackie Robinson. So did a million other black youngsters. And then he had to hold on in 1948, but 1949, he let loose. He was the most valuable player. And so what did I do at that time? I became the president of the white grammar school. And how many others were impacted like that. So we have to see socialization and acculturation as key to your formation and your biogenetics as key to your foundation. You may inherit uh, great material to develop, but if you don't have the formation to make it so, it ain't been. Now, applying that to this Eurasian thing that you've got hanging over you, um, Africans migrated all over the world. And those that migrated into Asia and went over the Bering Straits or came the Southern route, they peopled the Americas and they became the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Those who went up into uh, Europe and into Australia became the indigenous people of Australia. Mm-hmm. Those who went along the Indian coast became uh, the uh, African peoples on the Indian Ocean. Those who went up into Europe became the Europeans. Mm-hmm. African peoples with the environment for hundreds, well, for at least 100,000 or so years, or at least 50,000 years, those Africans who did not move back into the warmer climates had to adjust to the devastating cold of Europe. And they didn't have the Happy Valley to develop, or the Niger Valley, or the Bennu, or the uh, Zimpopo, or any of the other great river valleys that that Africa has and that Asia has, um, the the um, Asian peoples in India de- developing around their river valleys, and even the Chinese developing around their river valleys. But if you have the caves, that difficult environment to negotiate, then you lose your pigment because Mm -hmm. if you're out of the sun, you don't need it. If 
if you're not able to grow your food, then you've got to become the premier hunter. And so the value system of the north becomes the value system of the caves. And that which was produced out of that is not the spiritual value system of people being raised on the plains and even in the sand of the the harsh environment of the sand in much of the so-called Sahara uh, during during an important development of the human family was wetlands, was grasslands. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, being involved in an environment where you put the premium on the male uh, physical strength and the male with the club having to fight the bears and the African values of the sun, you put the premium on the on the person who revisits it, God and the creation over and over again. And that's the female that produces the child. Mm-hmm. And so there's a different value system in the southern cradle than in the northern cradle. So we'll, when we get into this the next time, we'll check out the DF's work and, um, you know, and then we you'll have something to work with. Absolutely. That's going to be, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, but now, we haven't done all this talking. Where do I send the bill? <laughs> hey, any product that's worthy, uh, there should be a price to it. Here I am putting my heart and soul out for, for you and all these students and every people, people I meet. And my wife and I are scrounging uh, money-wise because we're we're at 80, I'm, I'm retired, and we're still operating like we are fully in the university system. So we're going to all these conferences. We're going on Friday to a family reunion in South Carolina, then coming back, then she's going to Washington, then coming back, then we're going to Gregory's funeral, then coming back, then she's going to Virginia, and while she's going to Virginia, I'll be going to Atlanta. That's all in the month of September. My goodness. And so we our, our little pensions and her little job, she's still teaching at the School of Visual Arts, does not allow us to cover that. So we really have to begin to monetize if we're going to continue to do this uh, teaching and preaching and carrying on and transforming, uh, we're going to have to raise money. So I'm joking, but I'm serious. I know so you we, are. Well, yeah. it's interesting that you're talking to me about this because that is one of my specialties. Um, and that is monetizing my, monetizing my, my elders. Uh, yes. I, I work with Professor Cabot here, Walter Cabot, and I have taught him. And, and so oh, and he's a special spirit yeah. uh, that, yeah. that has moved with us. And then you see his son. And so oh, really? I'm saying, that's right, that we've been able to come up with how do you use this knowledge to Africanize your lives and then pass it down through your families. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna we're gonna hang in we'll here. So it's up for you to keep in touch. Yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate you, my my brother. Love you, Doctor J. Um, right. And thanks everybody for listening. This has been absolutely amazing. Please share it and please revisit it. Take notes. Uh, uh, listen to this with your family, with your children. This is part of the pass down. Uh, we'll see you guys and hear you guys next time on the Philippe Matthews Show. Take care, everybody. Uh, peace. Yeah, hotel.